0: Hang in. Dude, there fast. smiley kaufman for 61. wow i'm smiley kaufman and this is the smiley show what's up y'all I am really excited to share this next conversation with you. Not only is my guest one of the best tennis pros of the early 2000s, he is absolutely dominating the celebrity golf circuit these days. And maybe the best amateur player I've been paired with in a pro-am, Marty Fish. Marty and I talk a little golf, but most importantly, we get into the mental health adversity that each of us face as pros in our respective sports. My hope is that the vulnerability Marty shows in speaking about what he's been through might provide some sort of comfort for any of you fighting through that same battle. So here it is, my chat with Marty Fish. All right, we have Marty Fish joining us on The Smiley Show. Marty, good friend of mine, we played some golf together, known him from the golf course at Madison Club, first time we played together. And man, I tell you what, I think you're probably the best amateur I've ever played with. And thank goodness you were playing a scramble that day because I was a little concerned that you probably would have beat me best ball, but played with Mike Melman, JJ, the boys out there. Remember that day much or no?
1: I do. No, it wasn't at Madison. It was at, uh, it was, you were playing. No, no, you were playing in a tournament. It was in Vegas. You were playing in a, you were playing in the event and we played, we came and played the pro am You're so right. I don't know
0: why I just had Mike and Mike
1: and JJ and it was like the three of us and
0: you. You're so right because they did that snake trick on like 17.
1: Yeah, you would forget. I wouldn't, you know, I mean, you'd forget about playing with three hacks and I wouldn't forget about playing with a professional golfer who had been a PGA Tour winner and all that stuff and like I don't play very many like pro-ams uh <laughs> you know like on the course the day before a tournament so I remember and I'm sure you do. I, I, I can't would love it to be at Madison I love Madison club and uh and, and all that and I'd be happy to play golf with you at Madison too but no Mikey flew us over Uh, On the Casamigos jet or the Discovery jet or whatever it was, and JJ in tow as always, and uh, and it was at the it was at Summerlin TPC Summerlin.
0: You're 100 percent right. You could see why I would have thought we were playing at a Discovery property. The fact that we were playing with with Mike and JJ and got the Casamigos crew, it's just normal to think that we're at a at a uh, Discovery property. I thought it was the reason why I thought because typically it you know we all go play. Uh, at Madison Club the week of the American Express tournament, so it just in my head I was thinking we'd played out there. Maybe we did play out there once. I don't know. I, I'm sure. I'm sure we did, or
1: I'm sure we did. Uh, I'm sure we hung out there for sure. But no, dude, that was. Uh, I'll. I'll. I never forget that. I mean, like I, I've only played one other um, pro. Well, that's not true. I got to play in a uh, PGA Tour event, and so I played in the pro am for that. <laughs> they made me work for that. The three M. I'm so a I played brag, man, people, multiple pro-ams in that, in that tournament, but a dude, I've only played in two of them. And and I played with you, I played with Xander and I played with Harry English. And, and so I remember all of them and they were, they were super fun. Well,
0: that's a great crew of dudes there, man. That's a, uh, can't pick them any better than that. Well, you obviously world-class tennis player, but you know, golf is a big part of your life now as you move forward and uh, in what you do. And, I really want to kind of start there. Where where did, did you start playing the game of golf at a pretty early age? Yeah, I played. Um,
1: when I was born, my mom tied a string. I was born in Minnesota. And my mom, we had a basement, my mom tied a string to the ceiling, and, you know, brought it down to my level where I could basically just when I could stand and she put like a baseball bat and a golf club and a tennis racket kind of next to each other. And and she tied a string in it, you know, a ball to the end of it, a wiffle ball, a tennis ball, whatever it wasn't. And so I'd grab whatever club was next to me or whatever racket or whatever, and I'd swing it and I'd swing everything from the same side. It was a righty tennis backhand or a lefty baseball swing and a lefty golf swing. And so it was all the same, the same side. And so I developed, um, really good. I did it for my son as well. Cause I developed like really good <laughs> hand-eye coordination from, um, I think from even, you know, an early age, stuff like that. And so it's always felt really natural for me to swing from that, um, side. And then ultimately in tennis, my, by far my best shot was my two handed backhand. And, um, you know, I could sort of time the ball in baseball, what little baseball I played up until, you know, 13 or 14 years old. And then, obviously golf. And that's, I think one of the reasons why golf comes, um, pretty naturally or easily for me is because, um, it's because I just learned at such a young age, that muscle memory so so early on like a language, right? I mean, you learn a language when you're, you know, an infant and it's, you know, infinitely much easier than it is learning a language when you're 30 years old. Right. So So it's just natural for them. So I don't, you know, I've never really taken any lessons or anything in golf, and don't really know why things happen. But I know that I can, um, I can sort of get it to where get the club to where I think it should be. Um, We were talking before we started this about like putting. Like I have no idea how to putt, but like I don't know why things happen. That's the that's the frustrating thing for me is like like I'll I'll I'll, I've become um, friends with lots of um, LPGA players and PGA players. And sometimes I'll ask like Nellie, for instance, and I'll say, you know, I'll see her on Instagram or something and I'll write her a message and I'll go, Hey, um, do you like, she's got like some, you know, video that she put on and putting, you know, hit a putt in a tournament or something like that. And it looks like ever so slightly, she's hitting like almost topspin on the putt, right? Like Mm -hmm. she's hitting like sort of up on it. And so I write her and I go, Hey, are, are you, hitting up on the ball? Like putting like topspin, like a topspin forehand kind of thing, like on your putts. And she's like, she's rode back, one dimple up or something like that. Like one dimple from the middle. And so, so it, it meaning that like, yes, yeah, she puts like a little bit of spin on it. Like I have no idea. Uh, my putts just slot. They slice. They're like, they're like little sidewinder slices. Um, so I, I, I can't figure it out. I can't figure any of the putting out, but the actual ball striking and stuff like that, I don't know why for some reason, and I don't play very often, but um, you know, just it's sort of, it's, I'm not, there's not a lot going on in my head, which is, which is a good thing in golf. I think.
0: Yeah, it is It hundred percent is. Yeah. And, you, you know, my DMS are open as well. If you ever want to ask me <laughs> yeah, yeah. how, how I hit my putts. Well, she Cause put, I, she,
1: put, she put, um, first of all, I did ask you about the perfect stroke thing or whatever that, whatever that putting green is. Yeah. Called the that that perfect have. putting mat. Yeah. I love perfect it. Perfect putting mat. So I got one of those and I feel like, I don't know if they're accurate or if they're like cheating or what, and you said you used it to like, to practice. So I'm going to, I'm going to use it more.
0: Get to it practice. down, man. Oh, send us some, some videos.
1: I don't know what I'm doing. Like I'm hitting like these little slappy putts and I every, every single round of golf that I play, I have either a new putter or a new putting stance. So it's pretty <laughs> frustrating.
0: Well, you talked about, you know, studying the mental game and really enjoyed the Netflix documentary that, that you were a part of. Uh, if you haven't watched it yet, it's called untold breaking Point. It's on Netflix. I've watched it probably more times than I could count, because it's so relatable to the same experience I felt like I had uh, when I was playing golf and kind of struggling. In the documentary, for a large part, it covers your struggles with mental health, and you know we've kind of been through it both ourselves. I I actually experienced it once in Colonial, even on one of my best years. I had no idea what was going on, and I've never been able to understand where it came from. And it was my first dose of a trigger that I've never experienced before on the golf course. And what when was the first time you've kind of noticed that sign of of the mental health struggle that that kind of crept into your career? Yeah, it's. Uh, I appreciate you watching it. First of all, I know we've spoken
1: uh, in private about you know kind of how we felt or you know text message here or there or something. But yeah, I mean, look, uh, as athletes, we're trained to never show fear never show weakness right like I played a sport where it was just a one-on-one game non contact one one-on-one leave the locker room you're all by yourself just figure it out and like if you can't figure it out it's on you it's not on anyone else and so it can be pretty daunting to leave the locker room and you go out there and you're like you got a problem solve and, you know, and beat this person. There's a lot of people watching and there's a lot of pressure and you got, you know, a lot of background noise and all that stuff, right. With sponsors and, and, and family and coaches and trainers and all that, you know, all that stuff. So there's a lot of mouths to feed and a lot of, you know, we're always trained to, to not show struggle. To answer your question on the on the anxiety stuff and when that sort of came, um, that was 2012. Um, 2012 was the type of year uh, for me. I had a I had my best year in 2011, best year of my career. I had won a bunch of tournaments and finished in the top ten. Played, made the World Tour final for the first and only time in my career. And I played really late into that season. I played my last match against Federer on Thanksgiving Day in London um, in the uh, World Tour final there. And then I left to go down to Perth, Australia, um, like December 28th. So like I had four weeks off basically, or, you know, just kind of a little over four weeks off, uh, in our off season, usually and every other off season, we've always had, um, I've always had, you know, ended in October, late October, something like that. Yeah. So I've always had two months, you know, kind of two right. months, maybe even more this time. I didn't have much time. And it was the, and it was the highest that I had ever finished, um, sort of in the top eight and got to seventh in in, in the ranking was the highest that I that I was able to get to. And that you I know, mean it's so impressive though. I think it it deserves a little bit of context when I'm talking about like rankings when I did it, because there are there are look that 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 was the year that was a year that that Feder, Nadal, Djokovic, and Murray. Were comp- Andy Murray were completely dominating the sport they were they they were making the semis of every major they were making the semis of every master's event so like if you wanted to make the world tour final which only had eight people you there were really four spots like honestly there were four spots. they were so incredibly dominant um and, and they were just hoarding tournaments hoarding hoarding titles crazy and so it was almost like a blessing in and a curse right to like play in that era or to, to kind of peak at that time uh Djokovic 2011 was the best player I've ever seen or ever played against I played against Federer in 2005 on grass and Djokovic in 2011 on like a medium pace hardcore were the two best players that I'd ever played against so so in that in that year I had you know the next year I had sort of started at a lot of um, expectations for myself had a lot of expectations from others I was the number one American as well which was a, a title that Andy Roddick held for for a long time um, in my career and did an incredible job of um, of uh, you know being the alpha male and sort of having to deal with all the press and stress and expectation and all that stuff and so it was kind of on my shoulders then and i you know i wasn't used to it so it was a lot of pressure a lot of stress a lot of anxiety and a lot of it was normal right like i just know how to deal with it those are the positions and situations you want to be in and like i wanted to be in because i wanted to be the best that i could be i wanted to be you know one of the best players in the world and competing for major championships competing for big events and playing you know playing those guys in big events. and so the expectation and pressure changed for me. And I all of a sudden went into the Australian Open the next year. And, you know, whereas before making the quarterfinals of a major, around a round of 16 of a major would be a really awesome achievement. And it and it is, anyways, um, regardless of how high you rank, uh, you know, making the quarterfinals of of a you know, the Australian Open, let's say, is a phenomenal result. And so if when I didn't do that in that year, um, I think I lost in the third round. It was uh it was a huge um a, a huge bummer, right? Like it was something that uh that I took hard, that the press was hard. Um I just didn't know how to deal with it. It was different. And those sort of stresses and um expectations changing and things like that um really had a major effect on me. Some people it ha- it you know can handle it or predisposed to handling it. Um for me Uh, The first time I went, I I played a match in Miami, woke up in at 3am after losing the quarterfinals of that. So there's another sort of event in Key Biscayne that was a tournament that I grew up going to as a fan. Right. And so to even play in it, was an incredible experience. Right. But now I'm, you know, in the top eight in the world and I'm, I'm, you know, just seated just to go to the quarterfinals and like, I'm supposed to get to the quarterfinals and then let's see what you can do from there and see if, fish can get to a higher level than he is now kind of thing. Right. And, and I lost in the quarters to a really good player. And like, I walked back into the locker room and I could hear like the announcers as the TV's on in the corner of the locker room, like pathetic effort from fish today, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm just like, Oh man, like I, I know I didn't play well, but i I tried hard, you know, like I, I, and I, oh, I yeah. you know, and it just, it was just something to where, um, it was really jarring for me. And I'm, I'm the type of person that likes to be liked, right? Like I like to treat people. I've got a a lot of friends I feel like, and like, I, I, I like having a lot of friends, if that makes sense. Like I, I like treating people well and I like being treated well. Right. And I don't love, you know, when people talk shit about me or, or whatever, and I'm, you know, and I don't want to put myself in those positions, um, to, you know, to, for people to do that and try to be nice to everyone. Right. And I personally uh, had a hard time dealing with that dealing with the negative stress and my you know and eventually it came out in an anxiety disorder type format or form um you know there's panic there's depression um, you, you know, and you can have all those things can manifest into some pretty bad things, some suicidal thoughts and and whatever. And so I was, I was all of the above, you know, I mean, I had a little bit of depression, I certainly had some panic attacks, and I had severe anxiety disorder. Um, and so I was in really bad shape. And, and, you know, so that that first time that I kind of felt it was, uh, you know, March 2020, I'll never forget, I went to woke up in the middle of the night, thought my heart was just like, gonna explode I didn't know anything about it and was like you know beating 220 beats per minute I worked and and trained really diligently um and so I uh, with a heart rate monitor always when I was uh, you know practicing and stuff so I knew how high I could get my heart rate I was a really hard worker um later mid to like sort of late stage of my career I like overturned every stone every you know I tried every diet or every like thing you know to get myself to every pre-workout, every post-work, you know, whatever it was, whatever I put in my body. So I was like really diligent with that stuff. I knew exactly how high I could get my heart rate and then how quickly I could get it down. So that was the way I trained and I did it every day. And so I could never get my heart rate above 192. So when I would have these sort of panic attacks or anxiety attacks, um, my heart rate would get to like two twenty and two thirty beats per minute, and I I couldn't physically get my heart to beat that fast on my own, and so I thought something was wrong, and I was you know I thought genuinely thought I was dying, like my heart's going to explode, and like I can't you know, and they, you get those thoughts with anxiety disorder. Anx- anxiety is like you know having your it's hard to it's really hard to um, to uh, to to I don't have the vocabulary to like really articulate what anxiety disorder is or like what is anxiety but like my mind I'm my body is presently here right now but my mind is like two weeks down the road right and like it's it's so relatable yeah what am I doing over there why am I thinking about something that's literally 10 days away when I'm right here and I'm not present right so like that's anxiety um, getting way down past that, you know, getting way past uh, into the future of, you know, what you're what you're trying to do or what you have to do or what you're going to do. And I still have um, small issues with with that stuff. But working, you know, I work hard on it um, all the time. And so it's a it's something that will always be a part of my life. But um, but uh, that's something that I have a nice grasp on at the moment.
0: Yeah, well, I'm with you in that fight. You know, I, I would say for me, I, it's all relatable, everything you just talked about. And the negativity, that's something I like to be like, too. And that's was something I've never had um, the social media age of just the bullying of not playing well, and me trying to prove people wrong, and that I could play better. But now I'm dealing with performance anxiety on the golf course, where I used to have a pretty good protocol of how to deal with doubts and different thoughts on the golf course that just pop up in your head randomly that you can't control, anxiety is different. And you'll have a thousand different thoughts that aren't even close to anywhere near the thoughts that you had. And and what it did to me, and you, you talked about how long a round of golf can be, I would get to about the seventh hole and I would be so mentally fatigued from just a mental battle that I was dealing with on the golf course, and so you're talking about the negativity. You're talking about how to how to handle um, the doubts and things that come in your mind, and and then it leads to like even on good years, you know, and you experienced this from 2011 2012 goal setting. You know, I wasn't ever a great goal setter because it led to expectations that eventually led to some ag- anxiety and when I was honestly playing my best, I didn't set goals because for me, it, I just knew I was going to work my tail off and I was going to give it everything I had. And it wouldn't get, allow me to get too far in front of myself. And I'm kind of curious, did you have any issues with goal setting and uh, when you were playing from 11 to 12? Yeah. Um, I didn't really set goals. Um,
1: there was a time in 2011 when I, you know, we our rankings are same as y'all's where uh just a weekly sort of thing It just updates every week or every Monday,
0: right? And do you alls rankings need fixed as well?
1: Uh yeah, they do. Yeah. Okay. All, all, all <laughs> that's in. a
0: that's a totally different conversation than the, yeah, the problem dive into another day.
1: <laughs> the problem with tennis is, yeah, and the problem with tennis is like that is how you are judged. Like that number next to your name is how you're judged. I feel like with golf, it's a little bit different. Like they, you know, because there's so many. Golf is impossible to follow how people get into tournaments. There's like a there's like a gazillion ways that someone could get into an event. Whether there's a whether they have exemptions. Yeah, all, I'm sure you and know. And we
0: don't have a world ranking next to us as a player when we play as well. Like when I watch a tennis match, I see a number next to a player's name, and I automatically think, oh, I guess that's the whatever ranked player in the world or whatever ranked player in that tournament is that a good way of looking at a tennis board for the most part
1: that's the seating in the in the tournament in the in that tournament that they're playing in so like you you know someone who doesn't watch a ton of tennis will look at that and go okay well there's fish and his number is seven and then the there's another guy and he doesn't have a number they're like oh well he's supposed to win that match and like the guy without the numbers really good too dude you know yeah exactly i I know that yeah and so you know like that's you know that's part of the strip, but that's part of the gig, right? That's part of the gig. So like in tennis, like the only thing that we really have to go on is that number next to your name. And it it just kind of doesn't really lie. It's like, it could be a little different if you've been injured or something, you can kind of convince yourself that you're better than the number next to your name. But I, the highest that I'd ever got gotten was was seven and i it was in 2011 um i had finaled in in montreal and the year before it's a 12-month ranking system for us instead of 24 months um i wish it was 24 months because we could you know 12 months just felt like we were always defending points like every week it sort of felt like it was never ending on defending points to try to keep your ranking up and a ranking system and actually rafa came around at the end of 2011 to all the guys in the top 10 and tried to. everyone to sign a petition and i signed it to uh to try and get the ranking system changed um uh he got all the signatures except for one the most important one um uh which is uh which is mr federer so like he uh he didn't want it and so they you know and you get an impasse right there. If uh, if if Nadal and Federer want to do something, it gets done. But if there's a you know <laughs> kind of sounds like Tiger Woods on over side, on
0: our end of the street,
1: yeah. <laughs> one on one side and one on the other, um, it ain't gonna get done. So so it remained a, a 12-month ranking system, anyways. I I got in the locker room that year that, that week in Cincinnati and I looked around and I was like, There's six guys that are in here that are ranked higher than me. That's not good enough, you know, and it was like. I never, I never really stepped back. I never had the time or the chance to kind of step back and, and go, you know what? Seven in the world is pretty damn good. You know? And like, I never gave myself that chance. And and I never gave myself that chance after the world tour final in, in, in London there in uh, 2011 um, to kind of go, what a year, you know, like what a, what a year, like it was, you know, a year you dream about, right. Kind of thing. You played, I played some really big matches. I beat some really good players, including the doll and, and, and Federer, those years, you know, whatever. um A lot of good players. And I, I was never able to, um I was never able to step back and kind of go, wow, like great year, dude, like enjoy it or, or great week last week or whatever. And, and kind of sit there because you just had to, I had to, you know, I got there, I got there Sunday night and I had to play Tuesday, like it was wrong. And so, um, so it was like a, you know, kind of a, a sort of a blessing and a curse. So, so my, my point is I, I, I wasn't great at setting goals and I know some guys are, you know, like I, I follow, you know, Justin Thomas is obviously really close with you, but a a buddy of mine, I guess I could say, and like, I follow him and follow his career. And he said he's a goal setter. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, if he, yes. you know, tells us, tells his fans, like, what he, what his goals are after the year and stuff and says what he does well and what he doesn't do well, that works for him. That wouldn't have worked for me and it didn't work and it wouldn't have worked for you. Um, So I, I think like the most important thing to learn from that is like, not everything works for everyone. And uh, you know, on that, on that like kind of mental side of the game and everyone's really unique. I used to get incredibly nervous before matches. Like nights before, mornings of even lunch that day, um, hour out. I was a wreck. I couldn't eat. I couldn't, you know, it was hard of forcing food down. If it was a, you know, a match that three of you know, three out of five set match and a grand slam, forcing chicken and rice down. I can't eat it, right? And I'll give you a quick story. I played the first time I made the second week of Wimbledon, which is like a really kind of a kind of a milestone, if you will, and with players because they Wimbledon's two weeks long, but the middle Sunday, they take off. They don't have any play on the middle Sunday. And if you make the second week, you get to hang out that middle Sunday. No one's allowed on the grounds, no fans or anything. So it's like the quietest best day of the year. If you are in that second week of Wimbledon. Um, So I've made the second week of Wimbledon. Then everyone plays the Monday. I played a guy named Tomas Burdich who had made the final the year before and lost in the doll, um in the fourth round that year. I'm getting ready. I'm getting my ankles taped on the, uh, one of the training tables down in the, in the training room. And I look over and my opponent, Tomas Burdich, we're, we're, we're 45 minutes from going on the court. He's sound asleep. He's snoring. (laughs) And I'm like, I there's no way I could do that. I mean, there's, I don't, how is that even possible? Right. As soon as they call my name, I was, I felt great. I was like, okay, time to go. And I was, was, it
0: always that way for you though, even after never
1: nervous, like, like obviously I got tight, but like never nerve, like really nervous to like start a match or anything. It was just the way I was wired, but that guy was, was, you know, not nervous at all before matches or whatever he got into the matches and he was super nervous when he got into the matches. So like, everyone's really, my point is like, everyone's different. Everyone's unique. Not everyone can prepare like Nadal or warm up like Nadal. Um, They need to, you know, I could never, Rafa warmed up for an hour, like for, for his match. Like I warmed up for like 15 minutes. I didn't want to waste any energy. Rafa wanted to like get his body going and warm up hours before he played. Everyone's really unique and different. Finding that, like that sweet spot of like what you do and what you, what you do well and what makes you comfortable is the most important thing. And it's really hard to find.
0: So you pl- you were able to continue to play tennis with freedom and not experience really any performance anxiety. There were there I came back in the next
1: the next year, 2013, in March in Indian Wells was the first tournament that I had played. So I didn't play from September to March of the next year. Um, I was pretty nervous during that time, right? Like I was okay. like, going to come back. Is it? Um, is my heart okay? I had a heart procedure called tachycardia, which, um, is called, I had an ablation, which is not a, not a heart surgery, but it's a procedure. It's in, you know, they're messing with your heart. So it's like a little uncomfortable, but, um, but, but they fixed it and I was fine. Like physically, I was fine. Um, you know, mentally that should have given me, um, the sort of positivity to move forward and like just compete and all that stuff. But I was in such a I had such a bad, um, experience with the anxiety disorder that, um, you know, that if I didn't have the support system that I had, if I didn't find the doctor and get the correct medication to put myself on the right path, there's no telling if I would be here or not. And I tr- truly believe that I don't, I had thoughts of, of, am I going to be around? Um, am I going to hurt? Can, am I going to do something to hurt someone that I love, um, that's around me, um, because I'm, you know, in, you know, feeling this way. So I was really nervous in, at times when, um, you know, when I was going through those, you know, those kind of experiences sort of late 2012. Um, and then just over, you know, time heals everything, you know, heals a lot. And, and I learned from every sort of episode that I had and learned from, um, Learn from you know the experiences I had, whether it was on an airplane and I'd freak out, and have an anxiety attack or something like that. I'd learn from it and try and get better at it. And got to got to a point where, um, where I where I was really comfortable ending my career, um, ending my career in like four or five tournaments, the tournaments that I loved, the tournaments that I felt most comfortable in in the United States. So I didn't have to travel very much, Um, and I wanted desperately wanted to end at the U S open the place that it was all sort of sort of taken away from me. Cause if you remember, I was still in sort of the top 10 in the world at when I had to pull out uh, of the match against Roger in 2012, I was still, that was the really number one American. Match. Yeah. That was a really big match. We were, uh, we had just played the week prior two weeks prior in Cincinnati in a big match. I think in the semis, there was a you know really tight match as well. So, you know, I thought I could, you know, thought I could really had a shot to compete with him there. And, you know, it was a big match of, you know, my dad's birthday on labor day and, you know, just sort of the, the, the match you want to get to the match, you work so hard to get to. Right. And, and the fact that I couldn't even go out there and play, and that was the only way that I was going to get through it was, um, you know, obviously jarring. Um, but I learned from it. I learned from all the, all the episodes and, and sort of, you know, have the support system and support systems massive being able to, Talk to people once you get comfortable with your own skin or comfortable being vulnerable, um, being vulnerable was a huge part of it, just like with loved ones, just sort of saying like, "I'm not okay. like I don't I am not good. I don't feel good. And you know, at times you can it can be so uh, difficult. yeah, you can take it can take a long time for you to get to that point. It can take too long um, sometimes to, for you to get to that point. And, um, and I think that's where you see sort of the, um, the toughest moments of people, um, you know, make decisions or, or whatever, um, when they're in, you know, like, why did somebody do that? Or why did somebody commit suicide? Or why did somebody do this or that? Like, man, I was like really close to that. And so I can understand that if they didn't have a support system, if they didn't have a, the medication to, you know, to put serotonin back in their brains, a chemical imbalance in your brain. Like if they didn't, if they didn't have those things, or if I didn't have those things, there's no telling where I'd be or what I'd be doing. So the biggest thing that I found, I got out of it was judgment, like not judging people, why they do things, you know, understanding that, that everyone is dealing with something probably, you know, like everyone has their own issues and their own um, things that they're dealing with and internally and mental on the mental side of it and mental health specifically, you can't see it. It's, it's an injury. I feel like brain is part of your body. They call it mental health, but it should be physical in my opinion, because, uh, uh, because it's part of your brain and part of, you know, and, and you, it's something that you can't see. And if any other injury that we had competing, you know, let's say it's an ankle or something like you could see, you could see us, uh, limping. You know, like you could see us, you know, we broke our arm. We're in a sling like, oh, yeah, that guy's got a broken arm. But in, it, you know, like the mental health side of it, um, that guy's really depressed or that person is that woman is, um, you know, really struggling with her anxiety or something like that. We can't see that. And so the, the biggest thing that I got out of it, honestly, was was trying to be as non judgmental as I could, because there's just no telling what people are dealing with.
0: What? would you be your advice or what has been the thing for you to kind of win each day and, and continue to improve mentally? What, what advice would you give to someone that also is like, yes, this all feels like me. I'd say be, be
1: open and vulnerable. Like, just like, it's okay. I, I said it a few times in the documentary. It's okay to not be okay. Like it's okay. Like it's going to be okay. And I think, I think, you know, as you see people that you look up to, it could be athletes, could be, um, you know, your boss, it could be anyone, right? Like if they, if they come out and they say, you know, I, I, you know, recently, again, I, I said, I'm a big combat combat sports fan and like Tyson Fury comes out, he's the heavyweight champion, boxing heavyweight champion of the world. Like one of the baddest dudes on the planet. He was, um, uh, heavily depressed, um, suicidal, um, to is what he says. Um, if someone like that can come out and say it be that vulnerable and say, like this, I was in this kind of spot and these were my thoughts and these were my feelings, um, you can too, because he can he's he's a tough dude. Um and, and so if you if you see um Naomi Osaka or Simone Biles or um Max Crosby or uh, Kevin Love, or obviously Michael Phelps, you know, our um our buddy down at Eldorado. Um, oh yeah, we uh, you know, like if they you know, they can come out and say that kind of stuff, you know, he's the greatest Olympian of all time, Phelpsy, you know, and he can come out we we have private conversations all the time. Just how you doing, man? like how you feeling? Call me if you need anything, like that kind of stuff. call me if you want to talk and you just um be open, be vulnerable. With loved ones, um because I promise you that they're probably dealing with something similar as well mm. the 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 the, re- the true moment when I was a, w- that was really eye-opening for me um early on was uh, it was finding out how many people just in the United States deal with mental health issues it, tens of millions of people and like it's it's more than fifty percent, you know and so that's a lot of, you know, that's a lot of people that are dealing with this similar issues that are trying to find, um, ways to combat it, ways to get their mind out of it, change the channel on your negative thoughts and all that stuff. I've been through a million (laughs) things and ways to do it, ways to get out of it and stuff. And, um, it's okay. Like, I, I, like I'm totally fine being vulnerable on a podcast that we don't know how many people are going to watch this people I've never met before. And I'm okay with it. And, um, and, and I'm telling everyone else that they should be too.
0: Yeah. I was the same way. As soon as I started opening up to my wife and talking to her about just, you know, what I'm going through uh, for so long, I just internalized everything and it just was, everything just seems so daunting every day. Um, so many different thoughts, but everything you've spoke about are things that I've dealt with and, um, it's still is, it's never easy, but you know, there's, there's ways to, to get through it. And I've, I've found that breathing has worked really well for me. Um, just, just meditation, positive affirmations. And, uh, that's been kind of the key for me. And honestly, stepping away from golf, man, like uh, getting into broadcasting and finding success and something else. Uh, it's been great for my golf too. Now I go play golf, have fun and, Um, I I don't quite have that performance anxiety anymore that I used to have where I cared about what people think and, um, constantly worrying about what people are saying on social media. It's just not the same anymore. And, um, and I know so many people go through that day in day in and day out with their, whether it's school business and sports and it's tough. Social media makes, it, it can be a very fun place and a very terrible place. And, it's kind of our culture that we live in right now. It's a compared compared culture. and um it can it's it can definitely tear you down more than it builds you up sometimes, yeah. and you you came up in an era too, and with your,
1: you know, your the friends that you guys that you hung out with where there were they had a lot of success, right? Like Jordan oh, yeah. dt and, and Rick Ricky had a lot of success. and um and so did you. but like mm-hmm. they, for sure, all, yeah, the four of you had so much success that um that if one of you were to drop off a little bit, it would probably feel really lonely. Right. And, and, you know, you sort of equate it to like, and I'm always aware of, uh, of, you know, people, people kind of around you that, that, that you care about that don't get as much attention as you do because you were a professional golfer or I was a professional tennis player. Right. Like I've got a, a very cognizant of like, my sister, you know, like my sister who I love to death grew up, you know, 15 months apart. She played tennis. She was actually ranked higher than me when we were 12 and 14 years old. Like she was a really good player, went to Florida state to play on a full scholarship, played college tennis. And so she was a really good player. Um, But she was, wasn't going to be as good as I was, you know, and I was always aware of that um, and trying to, you know, trying to make sure that, You know, she was included in things and tennis things. And we talked about her when we talked about tennis in our family, as opposed to it was just me. And so I can imagine that watching because you want the same like Andy Roddick again was like the alpha male of our generation. Andy and I were really close. We were like brothers, but I wanted the same success or like I wanted more success, but I wanted him to have success, too. Mm-hmm. that meant when he had success, that meant like, well, shit, I beat him in practice. So why can't I do that? He won the US Open when he was 20 years old in 2003. Like, I beat him like the week before, why couldn't I win the US Open? You know, so like that was, so I love that when he did when he was successful with that stuff. But when he was successful, and I wasn't successful, that was when it was tough, right? Like that was when it was like, man, I'm, I'm getting lapped by my friend here. And like, I need to, and that's,
0: that's, honest truth. I didn't want him to not have success. I just wanted to have as much or more success. And this kind of goes in that same conversation, talking about the U S open and erotic winning, but with major championships, you know, a lot of times athletes struggle with how to prepare for a major championship. And I see that so often in, in the game of golf that certain players just once, once the majors come around it, just the practice, the intensity there's just so much. It's like the weight of the world is on their shoulders. Did did you experience that much for majors? And, and, and I'm curious too. and and when it comes to golf, do you think it's better to honestly do less before a major championship or, or like get it to where it's so good? You're like, okay, I'm so confident. And when you show up to a major.
1: Yeah. Um, again, this is another time where golf and tennis are similar, but the exact opposite, I feel like. So so intent, we have four majors, just like you guys do. Um, they're by far the biggest tournaments of the year. There's no other tournaments that we'd like to win other than the grand slams. Um, there's probably eight guys, like, honestly, like if you got them in a room and closed the door and said, do "You, do you honestly think you can win this tournament? There's probably six to eight guys in the U S open coming up down the street in LA country club, there's probably a hundred guys, maybe not that many, maybe 50 guys that truly believe they can win the U S open. And like, could like, you know, cause golf is like, it. it's in tennis. The best player wins a lot in golf. The best player doesn't win all the time. It's really hard to play really good all the time in golf. It's easier to play bad in tennis and win by far than it is in golf because we're, we're only beating be one guy. Yeah. We're only, it's just one guy that day. Um, And if we don't, we go home. And if we do, we move on to the next one, obviously. So, so like it's, it's, I can honestly say there were two majors that I genuinely thought I could win the tournament only two. And I was, you know, I was a really good player and as high as, you know, i I that sound that came out ugly. I, I thought I was a really good player, and uh, and um, and I was in the, you know, again, like top eight in the world for a while. And and like two majors that I thought I was gonna do 2011 Wimbledon, 2011 US Open. Truly, the 2011 US Open, I felt like it was my year. I can win this tournament. I genuinely thought I could win the tournament. Now, looking back, I had to go through Songa in the fourth round, Djokovic in the quarters, Murray in the semis, and either Nadal or Federer in the final. So it's it going to be pretty difficult I mean. to do that. Yeah, it's going to be pretty difficult to do that. But but in, internally, genuinely thought that like the PGA was just played. And like, you know, we've seen a lot of random champions win the PGA, the PGA championship before. And um, there's a lot more guys in golf that can win on a weekly basis than there are in tennis.
0: Uh, well, we'll kind of end on this. And you're a guy who lives in L.A., adopted hometown now and LACC is going to be the site of the U S open. I know you play your golf at Bel Air, correct? Bel Air and Hillcrest. Yeah. Uh, What's what's your overall impressions of LACC? I'm sure you played uh, there a time or two. What are these these guys going to expect? What are the fans expect? It looks amazing. I played it once. And to me, it's going to be a fantastic venue. I've I've played it a bunch. I, I love, I love the course. Um,
1: I almost said track. I'm I'm like, I'm, I can't stand when someone called it a track.
0: Um, I do it all the time, man. (laughs) um,
1: I, uh, I, um, I love the North course. Um, Riviera country club is uh, Riviera is my favorite golf course in the world um, that I've ever played. I feel like every shot is on purpose. LA country club, LA North is right behind that in my opinion it every i feel like every hole and every shot is is there for a reason you hit you know driver off well the only the only issue with la country club is you can kind of carry around your driver you mm-hmm. know like like riviera the first four holes you hit three different clubs yeah um you know and i i just i love that type of golf so what what they're gonna find is um some really cool holes some really like interesting holes um 15 is a par three that's like a really short par three i don't know if you remember that yeah it's it's like angled
0: like diagonally correct real skinny shallow green kind of remind the green kind of reminds you of um
1: of riviera number 10 green where it's like that sort of narrow um but it's like sort of up the chute so if you laid up on 10 at riv and then you had that sort of straight shot about 100 yards or 80 yards or whatever it is that's that type of hole. Um, It's really short guys are going to flip little wedges and stuff into it, but man, is it going to be a cool hole at the end of like a round or the end of a tournament? Um, I don't know where they're going to put the tee box.
0: I don't know where they're going to put some of these sea bogs. There's some. It's you just flip wedge there, I think. And there's some holes too that play like 300 yards for a par three. So they got an interesting mix of holes. Number 11 is a par three. I was just going to say that it's like you know 270
1: yards kind of thing. It's downhill, but it's a beautiful view of like downtown LA, and you know it's gorgeous. But they, yeah, I mean there's some beast holes out there um some really hard par fours some and into like short par fours that have like crazy second shots or like drivable par fours if you remember number six is like a like blind shot over the right correct blind shot drivable par four and if you lay up you again have this like tiny green to hit in and like a 40 yard flip shot so it's like it's it's um it's gonna be and then the next hole is like a 280 yard par three um, like the, almost the same distance part three. So it's like, That's it's great. It's a fascinating course. I can't wait. I'm going to go out there and watch in person. I'm going to watch a ton on TV. I can't wait. I love, um, major championship golf. Um, and especially love when you guys get your ass kicked. I love the, <laughs> when, the course, when you guys are struggling and the courses are, um, for us hacks, man is it makes us feel better. I don't know why, but it makes as us
0: long fun. as long as it's fair. It, I just,
1: I want, I want a plus a, an over par winner. I love those. I really man. do. I don't know if the LA country Club LA North is going to give you that, but, but the U S open has always been, you know, masters and the U S open have been my two favorites that I, that I watch because usually um, it takes a different style of player to win the U S open or to win the British open. Um Um, and, and it's similar in tennis, right? Like the French open is going on right now on clay and then they'll play on grass. And like, it's a different type of player that's going to win those, you know, those tournaments or a different style of play that you have to play to win those tournaments. And I feel like the PGA is usually a, you know, how, how deep can you go? And then the U S open is like, how hard is it going to be? um and so i hope i hope they make it hard um because i I love watching i love watching them and <laughs> i love watching them kind of suffer from time to time because they're so good it's so good i mean i know, text, I know. It's- i'll text justin one time i'm like dude how do you guys shoot how did you shoot 64 at riviera i don't even understand how it's possible and he's like dude if it's not windy or or anything like it just doesn't matter and i'm just like screw you dude
0: <laughs> I mean, these guys are good. Well, with all that being said, and and you've seen LACC uh, a couple different times, do you have a, a player in mind that you like for the U S open? that You want to go out ahead of time and say, this yeah. is my guy. U S opens. Obviously
1: you always have to drive the ball. Well, look, the, the, the two guys that I bet every major, whether they're playing or not is Rick, Ricky and Xander. I just feel like they're eventually there, they have to win a major. Like, mm-hmm. I just feel like they do. So they're, they're, I automatically take both of those guys. Okay. um And then I don't know, like, like I, 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 I mean, I feel like, you know, again, there's, there's 30 guys? guys that are playing yeah. phenomenal golf that like could very easily win. It could be, you know, us open. We've seen guys that, don't necessarily putt well, but can ball strike it like crazy and just put it on the green and two putt a lot. Um, I mean, that's that's a big thing in in US Open, you know, US Open type golf. So um, I'm super excited for it. I have no idea one of my buddies wins. I don't care if they're on the live or the PGA Tour at all. I just want to watch it. I love the drama. I want to watch it. I want to see them suffer um, sometimes, not always, sometimes, and um, and it's gonna be a blast to watch. So. I'll go with um I don't know, I mentioned it a couple of times. We'll go with Justin Thomas.
0: Okay. There it is, folks. Justin Thomas, the US Open champion at LACC. <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna be out there that week calling golf for NBC golf, uh, or excuse me, NBC Sports. So please come say hello. I'll have the the headset on, but make sure that uh that you don't be a stranger. And as always, man, this was this was really fun. I feel like we hit it all. We hit golf, we hit um, you know, the mental issues that come with being an athlete and Marty, thank you for coming on. It was really fun to talk. And, uh, I know a lot of people are going to really enjoy this. Thanks for having me, buddy. I appreciate it. Um, I know it's been a star
1: studded, um, list that you've had. Um, so to drop down to me was, uh, then,
0: and, uh you kind a a
1: bummer, I'm sure for you, Stop it, man, thank you for having me and, um, I'll see you in LA, baby.
0: All right, brother. Thanks for coming on love catching up with marty fish i am so appreciative of the way he shared having the courage to speak about that in public is not only relatable to others it continues to remove the stigma around mental health issues make sure you are subscribed to the feed because we will be back here early next week recapping the 123rd u.s open thanks for listening and see you then the smiley show is part of the serious xm sports podcast network If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcast.